Lawyers always need to be on top of their game, or at least appear to be. It can feel overwhelming to recognize or admit when we aren't, and even harder to reach out and get help. Welcome to Sidebar, brought to you by North Carolina's Lawyer Assistance Program, where lawyers help lawyers by sharing their experience, strength, and hope as they delve into their personal journeys of recovery. Hi, I'm Candace Hoffman, the field coordinator with LAP. I'm excited to share my conversation with one of our amazing LAP volunteers. We will be talking about his article, A Parent's Roller Coaster Ride to Recovery, which you should check out after the podcast. It can be found in the show notes for today's episode. And now we'll jump right into the conversation. Thanks so much for joining me today. Glad to be here. Your article is incredibly moving. Can you tell us what it felt like to vacillate between intense anger at a loved one and on the other side, emotional pain for them? Definitely brings back a lot of memories, not always pleasant ones. My alcoholic addict was my son, and he was at that time 18 years old. I just remember that in the height of his addiction, you could tell he was just completely lost. I think all of us as parents, we've always for years and years, we raised, my wife and I raised this child from birth. You just love the child so much. And that child is the most important thing in the world to you, along with the other kids. Whenever you see them in pain, his life was terrible. It was a mess. I felt intense emotional pain for him. That's the way I describe it was his life was so terrible that I was feeling this pain inside for him. So on the one hand, I had this emotional pain for him because I cared about him and loved him, yet he was doing all these things. This was before I had Al-Anon or any understanding of the disease of alcoholism that it just looked like he was doing all these things he shouldn't do. And I was always the classic, you know, rules follower, lawyer type, and you've got to do everything right. And why didn't he just stop doing this stuff? Why didn't he just stop using drugs? Why didn't he stop uh, stealing? And why didn't he stop doing all these things? And so, so I would just get so angry at him because I wanted to just wanted him to stop doing it. Do you think being a lawyer made it harder for you? I think so, because there's a number of different points there, I guess. One is that we are, by nature, I think, helpers and fixers. You know, we, we want to help people. We want to make, make things better for them. We want to fix problems. And also, I think we're high achievers a lot of times, and therefore, we, it isn't as easy for us to understand when somebody else is struggling and not attaining the behavior standards that we think they should. And there was a problem at home that you couldn't fix. That's right. I thought I could, but learned pretty fast that I couldn't. What epiphany did you have while fighting with your son? I remember a very distinct moment in time. It was a typical conversation. My wife and I were sitting down with our son talking about something he did or didn't do or should have done. I don't remember what it was, but I just remember sitting in the, in the living room of our house I call this my gateway to recovery because I wasn't in any kind of Al-Anon recovery. I didn't understand the disease, but we were sitting there and I just vaulted into anger, just kind of yelling at him. Why didn't you do this? Or why just intense anger and shouting and a, a typical reaction sometimes that I had. He just got up and walked out of the room. I can laugh about it now. I just wasn't laughing then. And my wife who was there and 
and she had an understanding of the disease of alcoholism. And she just looked at me and she said, you know, I understand that you're angry. It's okay to be angry, but he has a disease. Alcoholism is a disease. So be angry at the disease, not at the person. And that was a huge epiphany for me on two levels. One was it finally opened up the door for me to understand and see that alcoholism was a disease and that my son, maybe he wasn't this moral failure, that he just had a disease and this disease caused him to act the way he was. Then the other thing was it it caused me to be curious about learning about this disease. From there, I wanted to understand the disease concept and learn about it. That actually was my gateway to recovery. Ultimately, in my journey, I found my way to Al-Anon, which is a 12-step program similar to AA. And the very first step in the 12 steps is all about understanding that alcoholism is a disease that we can't control. How had the disease of alcoholism been controlling you in your house? Oh, so many ways. And and in Al-Anon, we talk about how it really is a family disease. The family members have their own disease. I'll just talk about my experience. I just remember being so uh, obsessed and overwhelmed by the whole situation that I had this adolescent whose life was falling apart. And, you know, all the dreams that we had for him about going to college and being a healthy, productive person, all that kind of stuff, just being somebody who has a happy, fulfilling life. At the time, it just seemed like he was basically his soul was was taken away. So I said all that about my son because that leads to how I felt about it. Very, very painful. I talked about the emotional pain for him that I had before. And so that affected me because if I was obsessed with that and I was trying to figure out ways that I could fix his situation and make it better, it turned out I was beating my head against a wall because as I learned later, I, there wasn't anything I could do about it to control or fix it. Basically just throwing me way off balance, way off my game. I started having, getting to the point where a lot of times I had trouble concentrating. I didn't have stamina. Some mornings I remember that I would get up to go to work and I was just so overwrought with emotion. I would just sit on the couch and cry. And my wife would have to come and put her arm around me and help me get up and get the day started. I, I literally remember times where times I would lay on the bed at night or even in the middle of the day and just lay down and just curl up in the fetal position and start crying because the situation was so overwhelming and I didn't know what to do. And I just, you know, felt so sad for my son. So there, there were all kinds of effects. It affected my work as well because there were times where I was just not able to concentrate and I wasn't, sometimes I wasn't meeting clients' demands and even lost a client once because of it. For me, it was happening without really even knowing it. When I was at work, I could get through the day for the most part and look okay on the outside, but it was it was tearing me up on the inside. What happened when you got to Al-Anon? How did that change how you approached the situation? Well, Al-Anon changed everything for me. When I got to Al-Anon, the first thing that you learn by example from others' experiences, they they just tell you what they went through and what they believe. What Al-Anon shows us is that, number one, we talked about the disease concept. This is the disease. We have something called the three C's. You can't 
You didn't cause it, which is an important thing, by the way, because sometimes people have guilt about, oh, did I do something here that caused this? That I never really felt that, but some people do. I didn't cause it. I can't control it and I can't cure it. It's a disease that I can't do any of those three things. And the most important thing they tell you right away in Al-Anon is because of that, the only thing you can do is focus on yourself, take care of yourself and learn ways where you can live a life of serenity, regardless of whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. Coming in, that is the biggest, most important thing you learn. That's an incredibly freeing proposition. And I can imagine not super intuitive for a lot of parents. Absolutely right. It's it's pretty counterintuitive because for a parent, you're, you think that your responsibility is to protect this child and take them through difficult times like this. So you're exactly right. It's not very intuitive, but once you get it, once you go in and you see that it worked for other people, you start to believe it and you start to work it. And it actually becomes true because in my case, gradually over time by working the program and now I did achieve a level of serenity while my son was an active alcoholic that I never dreamed I would. What role did constructing boundaries play in you achieving that serenity? Oh, I think boundaries is some, is one of our most important principles in recovery on our side, the Al-Anon side. One incident very early on, it happened. It's a big Al-Anon principle, but this came from my son's first recovery facility. If you read the article, it tells all about, well, my journey with him. Well, when he checked out after 90 days at the first inpatient treatment facility, one of the things that the counselor went over with us, my wife and I, my son, as a family was, they developed a contract that we had to sign and that our son had to sign that set out certain behaviors that were expected of him, certain things that he should do in order to maintain his recovery, and certain things that we should do to maintain our recovery and support him. On the boundaries aspect of it, this contract consequences for our son that we were supposed to enforce if he violated the contract. That was my first real experience with boundaries. These people were experts. They knew far better than I did. I didn't have to worry about setting the boundaries. I trusted their boundaries, said, okay, we're going to follow this. We did. And at one point, our son relapsed after he came out. We did enforce the boundaries that were set there, which the main one was that he had to leave our home. But back on the concept of boundaries, that's something that continues on. We have to set boundaries in our lives every day about certain things. And a boundaries is not about putting something around the other person, the alcoholic. The boundary is something I establish for my own protection, my own serenity, my own uh, health and peace of mind. So that was my first example with boundaries, but it taught me how they can work if you believe in them. The trick is when you're on your own, instead of having somebody, an expert tell you what should be the boundary, then you have to work a little harder at that. And that comes from experience and listening to other people. The boundaries thing is huge because if we don't set the boundaries, then that alcoholic just ends up running your life again. I like the mental shift of describing boundaries as a way to protect yourself, not a way to restrain someone else. Yes. It's interesting how that same fence, that same boundary can look very differently when framed in different ways. Yeah, it's a lot different than the boundary that we have as lawyers, right? 
thinking about real property law or whatever. <laughs> We're going to put this boundary up or even in criminal. Here's a boundary. You break this and you're going to jail. For us, it's just, it's about us protecting ourselves. Self-preservation. Talking about the self. What is self-centered fear in this context? That's a great concept. It's really important that we, as people in recovery on the family member side, really understand that. If your addict or alcoholic is your child, it's especially hard sometimes to get to that. But the concept of self-centered fear, I always say, this is one of my favorite phrases in Al-Anon. All my sponsees make fun of me if you're using it all the time, but it's about check your motives. You know, what, what are my true motives for what I'm doing here, the decision I made or the choice I made, the behavior I'm engaged in? And you might say, okay, well, in my situation, the things that I was doing, which I thought were to protect my child, like he got arrested. So I went, we went and got him a lawyer because we thought that was going to be bad if he had something on his record. Or while the child is using, we're still keeping him in our house and giving him three square meals a day because we're afraid if we kick him out, he's going to go out there and be on the street and die or something bad's going to happen to him. Okay. So you say to yourself, well, that's my motive. My motive is really is all about my love for my child and wanting his best interests. Some of that is true, but when you really dig down in, you got to ask yourself the question, is another one of my motives to avoid my own pain? The pain I would feel if, if that bad event did happen, if my son ends up on the street and bad things happen to him or he becomes totally homeless. And so that's the concept of self-centered fear. Some of that fear, if you really dial into it, is self-centered. It's just to avoid your own pain. Point is, it can be mixed, but you really need to sort that out and understand what's driving your decisions. More often than not, that element of self-centered fear is partially at least present. In order to really have good recovery, we really have to be aware of that. That's an important point because... A human's avoidance of pain is a powerful motive. And a lot of times our brains are very good at masking it and justifying it and telling us that we're really doing something altruistic when at the core, we're trying to avoid pain for ourselves. How else has this program trickled out into other areas of your life? Yeah, Alana, the 12-step program has become a way of life for me. And that all started when I went to my very first Al-Anon meeting. This woman that was leading the meeting talked about how one of the things that helped her was these principles from this program were just helping her in other aspects of her life, not just in dealing with her addict son, making her a, a better person, a more serene person, a more spiritually fulfilled person. And I definitely found that experience to be the case. I could sit here and talk for hours about how the principles of the program, I apply them in all aspects of my life. It's definitely made me a much better lawyer, a much better father, a much better husband, a much better friend. I like to tell people that if, by the way, my, my son has been in recovery for many years now, over 15 years, but I like to tell people that if you guaranteed me that my alcoholics in my life would always be sober and have recovery, I would still stay in the Al-Anon program for the rest of my life because of the benefits it gives me. Wow. So that's a, that's a general answer, but 
if we had hours, I could give you all the specifics. <laughs> Part of it is you go through a process of self-examination, which I had never had, which you don't get anywhere but in the 12-step program. And Alan Honor in a 12-step program, you have people around you that you're you feel totally safe in uh, sharing your deepest secrets or your deepest thoughts about. And that's where I get all my stuff out on the, the table to really examine it. But I do that with the help of people that I trust. And then that leads to deal with those issues that keeping me from being an even better person. The whole process is really amazing. It's something that you don't, you don't ever graduate. You never have it all the way. You're always constantly working on it. Al-Anon is one of the most important things that's ever come into my life. I'm going to hang on to it until I die. Well, you can definitely see the results of the program when you talk and how you talk about your recovery and your family. And I'm so glad to hear your son's been in recovery for 15 years. That's a beautiful way for the family to recover together. How are your relationships with your son and your wife different now than they were before recovery? Oh, wow. As far as my relationship with my son, really with all my children, even though my other two children are not addicts, they benefited from this because I'm a lot better at just letting my uh, children be who they are and live their own lives. And I don't try to give them advice or tell them what to do or stick my nose into their business. I just love them. I just try to love them for who they are. If they want my advice, they'll come and ask for it. If they don't, then I accept that. My relationship with all my children is much better because of that. I'm happier. I'm more content with it. You know, my wife and I have always been pretty close. They've gone through the recovery experience together in our own different way. We each have our own Al-Anon group and all. That's probably drawn us closer. And we, we talk about recovery stuff together all the time. I think we were blessed with that we didn't get torn apart by this experience with our son, which isn't always the case. And so we're grateful that 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 didn't happen. We had people that were encouraging us during the process. Sometimes they were experts, counselors at the recovery facilities that would say, you know, to the extent you can, you need to try to be together on these decisions. And sometimes I wasn't emotionally ready to get there on a particular decision. She was, and she would wait for me to get there or it might happen the other way around, but we were always able to to end up pretty much on the same page. I know that that isn't always the case. I've seen it in the rooms of al where that becomes a big problem. I'm just grateful for the fact that we have a, an intact family where um, we all have great relationships with each other. After becoming a parent, I didn't understand exactly how challenging it was going to be to let my kids be themselves. It sounds very simple in saying that after you become parents, that need to protect and control, and it is not easy to turn it off. Great that recovery has helped you and helped others do that. What would you say to anyone listening who is struggling with a family member or a close person to them struggling with a substance use disorder, what would you advise them as far as reaching out to LAP, the benefits that they could get? Absolutely. The thing I would advise them is reach out for help. It's not something you can deal with alone. First of all, you heard even in my story how I didn't really even know it was a disease and I didn't know some of the basic things. And so if I tried to continue to go on my own, 
who knows, my son might be dead today. <laughs> my soul might be dead, or I might be in pretty bad shape myself. So the first step is to recognize it's okay to reach out and get help. In fact, that's what you need. And being a lawyer, LAP is a great place to go because you've got this organization which has proven through the years, through the decades, to be incredibly good at providing support for lawyers in situations like this. One of the important things to remember is that there's total confidentiality. If you come to somebody in LAP, it's basically cloaked with attorney-client privilege. So it's the other thing is you'll know that you're going to get experienced counselors to talk to. Perhaps even more important than that, counselors that you will talk to a lot of times will connect you with LAP volunteers who are fellow lawyers who have gone through exactly what you are going through. So they get it. And that's one of the powerful things in our program is we're helping each other and there's credibility through the identification with the situation. In other words, you can rest assured that if you reach out to LAP, they're going to be able to listen and respect, treat as sacred the confidentiality and point you in the right direction and get you hooked up with principles and programs that can help you. Thank you. There's so much good in what you said and confidentiality. We try to hit it home all the time because as lawyers, we're not always super trusting (laughs) that things are confidential, that it's confidential for you to whoever you're concerned about, that they get to talk to the great LAP staff, but also, like you said, the great LAP volunteers like yourself that can speak to them with that language of the heart. I so appreciate you talking with us today and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Thank you very much. And I'm just grateful beyond words for all the recovery I've had, thanks to LAP and Al-Anon and the 12-step program. Thank you for joining us at the Sidebar. If this is your first time, we encourage you to listen to another episode or two, subscribe to our newsletter, and peruse the resources at www.nclap.org. And if you know a lawyer who could use a hand, please share this episode with them today. Remember, at Sidebar, you are not alone. In fact, you are in quite good company.